What's up, guys? We are episode seven of the Four Lifters by Lifters podcast, and we have one of our uh, sponsored athletes with us today, powerlifter Kelly Thompson. Um, you want to give us a little, little background, a little how you got started in fitness? and um, So, <laughs> some backtracking. I'm powerlifting now. I did bodybuilding prior to that. And then I actually did pageants before bodybuilding. And I've been in pageants a, like, like beauty pageants. Like beauty pageants? Mm-hmm. Like you stood up on stage and were like, look at me? <laughs> yep. Yeah. <pretty> much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I hired a trainer to get me, you know, in pageant shape for the swimwear division. And then she kind of was like, hey, have you ever thought of bodybuilding? And then kind of went from there. Did you compete in bodybuilding? Hmm. Like you stepped on stage? Yep. Oh. I did five shows. I did the figure division. Too much muscle for bikini. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So, yeah. I never, I actually didn't know that. I didn't know you actually competed. I knew you trained that way. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So I what? Did, what was it? I did the Lehigh, the Philly, Delaware twice. I think I did the Lehigh twice, actually. Those are pretty, I mean, the Lehigh is a big show. I think it's the biggest one in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. for, like, amateur shows. Yeah. Um, so what what happened where you, know, you reach a point in bodybuilding where you're like, eh, you know, and then you kind of transitioned into powerlifting? Um, it was kind of, I guess, the motivation portion or the, well, dieting for one. I've never been really good at dieting. I like to enjoy my food and not, like, be upset every time I'm eating because I can't have something um and then there was a point where I was doing three plus hours of cardio minimal carbs all protein and just like my weight wasn't moving so then I got blood work done and found out I had thyroid disease so that kind of did it for me I took a year off from you know strict dieting just eating however not however I wanted to but kind of healthier eating if you will just to kind of get myself back to normal. And then as I was doing that, I started training how I wanted to train, which was seeing how heavy I could lift things. And then a bunch of people kind of approached me and were just like, hey, like, do you power lift? And I was like, no. And they were like, oh, well, you probably should. And I was like, okay. So then I did my first meet, and I was like, ooh, I like this. I'm kind of good at it, so I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> I feel like that's how most people get involved in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was... 20 i was doing uh dips with uh, i had like two or three plates on a you know the chain and uh this older guy came up to me in uh, the local ymca and he's like you're you're actually kind of strong he's like you should you should power lift and uh and i was like no like i don't i don't want to compete and uh and we started talking he knew i was going to penn state he's like they have a huge team for powerlifting Mm -hmm. he just goes just please just go sign up and see what happens and uh and that's what led to me powerlifting uh but i had no interest in it and i think mostly because there's nothing like there's nothing in like magazines about powerlifting you know when you get a fitness magazine it's how you look it's not really about the performance it's all about aesthetics yeah so uh i I think every time i think about you i think about four or five for ten (laughs) like that that was your you know you squatted 405 pounds for for 10 reps um it's just insane to even think about i mean my my best isn't much higher than that and uh so it's super humbling to see and I'm sure a lot of people um 
I'm sure a a lot of people get butt hurt even just seeing that. Um, but it's just it's just incredibly impressive. Um, but that's not really like powerlifting. Like I, I think when you when you think about like that rep scheme, uh, you know that's something like a really heavy set that a bodybuilder would do. Yeah. Um, so would you say that you, like can you describe your training a little bit? A lot of so when it comes to my training, depending on how far out from a meet I am, I'll. It, it, it incorporates a lot of bodybuilding. Like anything that's typically 10 reps or more, you kind of consider it bodybuilding, right? Um, but that specific day, I had, I wanted to say it was like a three by four, and then my last set just kind of am wrap it as many as possible, and I don't know where 10 came <laughs> from, because as soon as like I was done, like Sean, who does my programming, was like, where did that come from? And I was like, I have no idea. I just kept going till I felt like I was going to fail. Like yesterday or last night, we went to the gym and I had bench. I did 205 for 11. Like, I don't think I've ever done that before. I'm going to say 11 and a half because I failed 12 at lockout. <laughs> but that came out of nowhere. I mean, I'm feeling it today, like in my armpits yeah. and chest. But anytime he gives me AMRAP or like a top set but like not for a single top set of however many top whatever amrap it's almost like from doing bodybuilding for so long that kind that part of me comes out and kind of pushes it like my muscular endurance kind of comes out of nowhere and it's like hey you did 15 to 20 reps for all of this stuff when you did bodybuilding so it's it's nothing new and a lot of my accessories it's always higher rep, never really super heavy. Like if I'm doing bicep curls, it's not like I'm ever going to do four of them with 50 pounds or something like that. So when you AMRAP, uh, which for those of you guys listening, uh, means as many reps as possible. When you do that, do you even count the reps or do you just go and then have like, you know, Sean, you know, who's spotting you or whatever, count the reps for you? Um, I kind of, so... I have like a number in my head that I'm like, okay, I want to hit this, but usually anything over like five, I kind of just lose count because I'm more so focusing on, you know, my form actually lifting the weight. And then most of the time I'm recording it so I can kind of look back on it to see where I can fix things. Then I'll start counting and I'm like, oh, I got that many. And usually it's kind of like, even when I'm on the platform, it's almost like when I'm lifting something, I black out, but not like I'm going to pass out blackout. Like, I just don't remember everything in that moment. So, yeah, counting it, I, I'm i just like, all right, if I'm going to hit eight, I'm going to hit eight. And then if I have more gas in the tank, I just keep going. Yeah, so your adrenaline's kind of like mm -hmm. overtaking and you're just into it. You're into like the performance aspect of just yeah. pushing your body. And you know that if you're if you're thinking about counting, you may not be performing at your best right like if I have in my head okay we're gonna do as many as possible and I want to hit the I want to get to 15 I'll hit 15 and like I probably still have some left in the tank but since I was so focused on a specific number I might not be giving it my all at that point okay. so I'm just kind of like all right my working set was let's say five get to five keep going when you're training, like, do you do you think about like lift execution, or do you have that down so well at this point that you don't have to think about that to take away from the training? Um, 
I I would definitely say I do think about it. And it, it depends if I have like a nagging injury that's definitely in the front of my brain, like executing it properly so I'm not furthering an injury or if something just doesn't feel right, I'm not executing it right, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I, I've always said that um, like bodybuilding is physical and powerlifting is mental. Uh, so I, I always feel like if your mind's not 100%, you're just not going to be that strong so if you have a nagging injury and it's pulling you back or it's something you know maybe you didn't warm up properly and and your your hip and your low back so when you're squatting you know things are rounding a little bit you're you're going to pull back from you know that amrap set Mm -hmm. because things aren't functioning 100 percent. so then your you know your training is not going to be executed as well so i i've always said that and i think everything that you're saying kind of follows that yeah it's definitely mental because if there's a day where i don't feel if, I, if I'm just like, I don't feel like lifting today, it shows in my training. Like, it's not, and not every day is going to be perfect. But if I, you know, have something on my mind that's not even lifting related, it keeps popping up in my head while I'm training and I'm not fully mentally into my training. And it, it shows for sure. And I, that's also like a big difference between bodybuilding and powerlifting is I feel like in bodybuilding, you're having a bad day, you still have to show up, mm-hmm. right? You, you still have to tax the muscle. You still have to, you know, uh, stay with your disciplined diet. But with powerlifting, like if you're not 100%, I've only said don't show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously there, there, you can make arguments where it's still worthwhile to show up. But if you have, uh, you know, if you're in prep for something and you, you need an extra day off, like you have to take it. Whereas yeah. bodybuilding, like you still have to show up. You might just back off a little bit. I agree with that a hundred percent. Cause if there is a day where I feel really sore and I just don't feel like I will take that extra day off yeah. because it's not like my strength is going to decrease over an extra day of rest. I go up. Right. Like, I probably need that. So, I agree with that 100%. What was your uh, your best squat bench and deadlift? In comp or in the gym? Oh, comp. <laughs> you know uh, how, how it is. <laughs> my best squat in comp kilos. It's like 460-something. In pounds? In kilos. Or 460-point-something. They use kilo plates. Yeah, but it's 460 460 pounds, pounds yes. yeah. Okay. What? Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. Like What's up, Ray Williams? <laughs> <laughs> um, my best bench is 275, and my best deadlift is 501. And that's all in comp. And um, <clears throat> it's just humbling. My best deadlift is not much higher than that. That kind <clears throat> of came out of nowhere. Like, I was struggling with my deadlift for a while. I went back and forth between sumo and conventional, and it just, for some reason, something wasn't clicking, and then it was almost like two weeks out from the competition, it just started working, and then, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the video, it moves so fast. I was not prepared for that. I almost threw up before I did that. Like, my nerves were so worked up, and the music I was listening to was making it worse, I literally had to put on like slow jams to calm myself down. I felt so like, like you said before, the adrenaline, it just like, it was, I don't know. It's at an all time high during competitions and my nerves are like out of this world 
it's not exactly a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, I think everybody kind of goes through that when they're on the platform, though. I, I don't know anybody that stays, like, even if they look cool, calm, and collected, um, you know, typically they're super anxious. Mm -hmm. And I think that that anxious feeling is <clears throat> part of what fuels everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've always done so much better on the platform than I do in training. Mm -hmm. Like, I can do a full-out 100% max on squat and then, you know, a month later go to the the meet and do 20 30 pounds more yeah and uh it's just because of that nervous feeling and, and i think the equipment helps a little bit too yeah for you sure. know having the elico bars and all that stuff mm -hmm. uh so can you go through kind of like what your training protocol is like just normal training maybe not prep normal training so typically normally i train four to five days a week and i'll isolate muscle groups so and i also kind of it's built around the three main lifts because okay. i am a power lifter so there's a day where i'll squat and then it'll be a lot of pushing movements with my legs okay when i'm deadlifting it'll be you know deadlift and then pulling movements pull downs rdls something um benching it's typically you know i bench and then i'll do it's more so arms and then I'll have a day where I kind of focus on my core so it'll be not just straight sit-ups leg lifts it's more so ab exercises that are you know bigger exercises if that makes sense yeah. but core stability um, that's so you train a movement and then a muscle group yes Okay. And that's, I think that that's the, uh, the typical like hybrid training of today mm -hmm. is it's all, it all seems to be kind of built around, uh, along the same concept. Uh, when I first started powerlifting, um, raw lifting really wasn't a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody lifted in gear, uh, for collegiate, uh, we didn't even have the option to lift raw. Like it wasn't a class. Like you lifted in single ply or if you wanted to lift raw, you would just get absolutely destroyed in the single ply class. Like that was your options. So uh, obviously lifting in gear made us uh, migrate a little bit more towards like conjugate training. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a reason why that you've never been kind of steered in that direction? My training, it's just it kind of the flow of my training typically goes with what's working for me. Um, if it's the style of if it was like a conjugate style training if it was working for me and I was you know the weights were going up wasn't getting hurt then I would kind of stick with that I just get my program and just show up and do it I don't really ask too many questions I think that there's a no I, I think that there's a, a blessing in being put on autopilot right because if you don't know why you program something you also can't t tell yourself that you don't need to do it mm -hmm. or do it to a certain extent um, so I, I think that there's a huge benefit in strength programming when you're just following a template yeah. and that's, you don't, you haven't done any of your own programming recently. Mm -mm. No, Sean does all of my programming and I don't, I don't get my week's workouts all at once. I literally get the day of my workout, what I'm supposed to do. Cause if I see what I'm going to do in the future, I might you know, talk yourself off. out of it. Right. Or I might say, you know, we're going to push that back a little bit. 
It could scare you, too. Mm-hmm. If a number is much bigger than you like, think you're capable of, but your right. coach thinks you are, mm-hmm. you know, you might start backing off your training because it, it beats you up. Yeah, I get a day of, and then it, the closer to, like, my workout time slot I get that workout, the better. Because if I see what I'm supposed to do in the morning and I'm not training till the evening and say it's like, you know, we're going for maxes at this point, and I see, like, a number I've never touched before, and that's in my head all day, like, oh, crap, I have to hit that number, like, later tonight. And then I start to psych myself out a little bit. But, yeah, I, I'm definitely an autopilot lifter. <laughs> I've, uh, I've always done all my own programming. And when I know I'm having, like, a test day or a heavy top set, um, I start getting, like, super OCD. Like, I, I need to make sure my meals are on point. I need to make sure, like, I'm getting enough calories. Yeah. Uh, I need to make sure that I get a good night's rest the night before. Like, I try to make sure everything's in a line. Um, but that's probably not the healthiest thing to do, too. Like, How sometimes. How often do things fall into place when you're doing that? You have to move everything else out of the way. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem. It worked in college when you're young, when you're older and you have responsibilities and stuff. Right. You, you can't just shift your entire life around. Yeah, you know, a squat night. <laughs> yeah, can't exactly move um, adulting around squat, bench, and deadlifting. So you work, um, like your full-time job is a trainer, mm-hmm. and you're a powerlifter, ex-bodybuilder. You've been doing this for 10 years, uh, I think collectively, right, mm-hmm. at least. Um, what's, like, uh, what's one of the biggest issues that you run into when you're training people, the general public? Body awareness. So when, and it's funny because my actual book of clients, it, it's not just one demographic. They're all over the place. You know, I have older demographic. I have people with injuries. I have younger people. I have athletes. So obviously nobody gets trained the same. Yeah. But everybody has this, and I don't know if it's something, if you do it for a while, you get better at it, but being self-aware of your own body is something I run into all the time with my clients, no matter who they are. Granted, older demographic, it's much more noticeable, but... When you say self-aware, like, what, in what sense? Like, if I'm asking you to, we'll take engaging your core. A lot of people don't know how to do that, and it's... in. To me, it's simple, but, like, to somebody who hasn't been working out for a long period of time, it's really hard. Like, I try to tell, like, okay, when I'm teaching someone how to squat, how to brace, how to engage their core, Mm -hmm. they just, they don't know how to do that. Or it could be something as simple as, like, I'm telling them to step with their right foot and they're using their left. They just don't have the... Yeah, I guess the awareness like of how to engage those things or it the mind to muscle connections just not there. So it's almost it's very repetitive. We have to do the same thing over and over again. And I have to sometimes figure out different ways to do it, depending on what type of learner they are visual, hands on, or they need to like hear me say it over and over again. A lot of people are visual learners. So if they see me do it, they try to mimic exactly what I'm doing. But if they're not, if they haven't been working out or are familiar with it, it's almost like I'll do something as simple as like sitting down on a chair and they do it all types of different. That's fair. I I think uh, 
you know, everybody's body is different and different leverages. Mm -hmm. I think it becomes very difficult to try to mimic people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where the internet versus like personal uh, in-person training is a, is a huge difference. You know, if you see your favorite uh, bodybuilder or whatever uh, performing a movement, uh, a good example, actually, I think is Julian Smith. Do you know who that is? I think I've heard the name. Uh, so he's like big in the natural bodybuilding community. Okay. He does some wild uh, movements. Uh, my body's way too tight. If I did the movements that he did, I would probably tear something. And I've been, you know, training for 12 plus years at this point, And I couldn't imagine somebody trying to do that with six months of training. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I can't do it at this stage and then they're trying to mimic, you know, their favorite guy on Instagram uh, at six months, like something bad is going to happen. Yeah. And I feel like that's where you need the a little bit of guidance there on, on what to do and, you know, how how far to take it. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a huge deal when it comes to online coaching or, you know, online programming, which whichever. But I'm a big and my job offers virtual training. I don't do that because I'd rather have somebody in front of me and I can correct them right then and there when something's going wrong. If they're just taking, you know, whatever I text them or email them and then they're like, hey, I did my workout. Okay, how'd it feel? Yeah, I hurt my back. If I didn't see it, I can't fix it. Right. So I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan of being like able to see, stare at you while you're doing something. So if you're currently, you know, leaning one way or something like that I can fix it right then and there I think one of the biggest differences between uh somebody that just starting out and somebody at your experience level is just knowing how hard to push mm -hmm. right uh, a lot of people are scared to go that far and maybe they can't push themselves that hard but in order to get where you're at you know it's going to take you know, five, 10 years of constantly pushing yourself just a little bit harder each time. I don't see too many people doing that without a little bit of guidance, right? So if, if you're... It's internal. Yeah. If they can't, like, get over that internal battle of pushing themselves, like, they're scared of getting hurt, or they just don't know the right weight to push themselves at, like, if they had an extra 10 pounds in themselves on whatever they're lifting if they don't like you said the guidance like the it you need that guidance of somebody to watch you who is experienced and knows like hey you have this and like it's i have it's to an accountability measure yeah. for sure mm -hmm. so, um so uh recently i think you hurt your back right <laughs> it's like on and off but yeah on and off have you had like an mri or anything I haven't had an MRI, so my hips, my hip joints, my SI joints are very mobile. Um, not to the point where I can do like a full-blown split, but when I'm, like I have in my legs, when I'm squatting, one side is more dominant than the other. So because those joints are a little bit more mobile and can move a bit, they kind of come Boys, yeah. Unhinged, maybe? Unhinged, yeah. yeah, we could say that. Um, so I have to get adjusted and do my own, you know, not therapy, but be proactive about it, do stretches, do mobility work to kind of help it. Because when it's 
like especially on my left side, that's the side that typically hurts. When that's off or inflamed or whatever, it's almost like I can't walk. It's that much pain. And I like to think I have a pretty high pain tolerance. I have tattoos, piercings, and everything. But it's just not being able to do activities of daily living because your back is in pain. It sucks. But it's something that I have to work around. Um, you know, doing unilateral movements definitely helps. Working on core work helps a lot. I don't think I was doing enough of that. That's why I was getting injured so frequently. It was almost like every other week I would have some type of pain in my back. But I've been a little bit more proactive about it as of lately because I don't like being hurt all the time. Have you ever uh, have you ever done Ramwad? No. So it's a range of motion workout of the day, I think is what it stands for. Uh, and I, I, I did it for the first time at a CrossFit gym. I was just dropping in uh, to a, a gym that a friend of ours owned and, uh, you know, just checking out the workouts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were doing that day. And I was like, oh, this is interesting because uh, it's <laughs> not usually what I'm, I'm used to. Right. And uh, it, I feel like it's a it's like a yoga stretching um, but it can be anywhere from like 10 minutes to maybe 35 minutes and they have all these programs on there. Um, I, I hate to say it, but I've had, uh, in 2014, I herniated two discs and bolts the next one. Um, so it was so bad that I used to have to have somebody pull me out of my car. Um, oh uh, yeah. And it wasn't fun, but after a long time, no surgeries, no injections, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Um, Ramad was, uh, in theory, you know, some of the movements that they do uh, were what kind of helped me relieve a lot of that pain. So now when I feel things starting to tighten up, mm -hmm. I start, I download Ramad, I sign up again, and I start doing the workouts. Then all of a sudden, like my hip, my back, everything's just like freed up. And uh, it, it feels wonderful. And I think if anybody's uh, suffering from back pain or hip issues or even knee issues that are caused by, you know, tight hamstrings and quads. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that almost everybody should do. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird. Like we talked about it on a previous podcast for some reason, like the, the bodybuilding industry or powerlifting industry, like it seems, uh, like anti flexible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you, mm -hmm. everybody's just so stiff and they can't move properly. Um, but what's funny is like, they would probably be bigger if they could activate the muscles properly mm -hmm. and they would probably be healthier, which means they would be stronger if they were in the right positioning. Yep. And I don't think people really focus on that stuff too much. And you were talking about your mobility. Uh, the first thing I notice when you like when you squat and when you lift, but your, your lift execution is, is almost perfect, right? So between, you know, if you're benching with your shoulder retraction and, and your arch or when you're squatting, your back only stays in a line. Um, Unless, of course, I'm sure that there's some squats where you hurt yourself, and that was probably because that didn't stay there. Um, but I feel like if you focus on that stuff to start, then you can kind of push yourself without having to think about those things, you mm -hmm. know, in the future. And, you know, we we're talking about strength being mental. I think that, uh, you know, not having to worry about being out of position and activating the right muscles and all that stuff is just uh, probably one of the fastest roads to success in, in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Yeah, so. for sure. I mean, there's a lot of steps before doing a lift. And my warm-ups before I even start touching weights is so long. Like, my workout takes, like, two hours, but the actual working out portion is probably, like, an hour. That's funny. Um, before before we opened Coalition, 
Um, we opened in 2014. Ben started working for us in 2015. Um, but Ben and I knew each other from the gym. Mm -hmm. So we, we went to the same very uh, small hole-in-the-wall gym. And I didn't know him. I, I just referred to him as, like, the guy with the tree tattoo because uh, that's what he has. And he referred to me as the guy who would warm up for a half hour and then squat for an hour. <laughs> and uh, But that's just um, – you know, that was pre-injury actually, but that was just what it, what it took. Yeah. And it's such a, an important part of, of the daily lifting routine. I think people are better off with a half hour warm up and a half hour squatting than an hour of leg training. Yeah. I mean, you have to make sure everything's moving and feeling good before you actually start to push weight. But, In my opinion, at least. Yeah. And, and that's like an athletic approach, right? Mm -hmm. So if you treat it like a sport, you know, you spend time, you uh, open up your body, you make sure that you can perform the movements correctly. You're not going to go out on a pitching mound if your shoulder's not rotating correctly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so why would you put 500 pounds on a bar if you can't squat down properly? I, I see, and, like, these aren't my clients, and it's just, like, the the gym. The, the bros? The, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess you could call them bros. But, like, the gym goers in the gyms that I work at. But it's... I can't tell you how many times I see them come in and just, and I know they didn't warm up or they'll walk on the treadmill for five minutes. And I'm like, that's, I understand you're getting blood flowing, but that's not you're still warming stiff. you up. Right. And then they'll just go over to either a bench or a squat rack or even the dumbbells and just start like piling on the weight or like lifting the heaviest dumbbell. And I'm, as I'm training my client, you know, I see trainers see everything. So I'm like, you know, watching out of my peripherals and I'm like, like, I'm just waiting for them to get hurt or I'm going to have to save them. You know, if I'm the only one around and they're failing something like God forbid somebody's failing a squat and I see them struggling and they don't have the safeties up. Right. Like I, I'm, if they warmed up properly, they probably wouldn't be in that predicament. Like, obviously they're moving the weight, but they just do gym bro things they just want to throw stuff around and be you know that that gym guy the strongest guy in the gym is there uh <laughs> w with everything you know now you know going through injuries and and two different uh or i guess three different sports uh in the fitness industry like is there anything that is so concrete to you that it's just essential to whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting warming up you've you don't think like there's a, a lift or oh, a movement uh, or a rep scheme or a theory? Technique over weight um, for powerlifting, definitely making sure your technique is on point. Because if your technique's not on point, the weights aren't going to go up. Um, They'll go up fast until a certain point. Until you hurt something. Yeah, and then, uh, so I see it on, on deadlift. Like those newbie gains. Yeah, <laughs> but I see it on deadlift all the time. Like when people start deadlifting and they deadlift with the arch, you know, round, really rounded back. Right, where they, they look can, like a cat. Yeah, they can rip the weight off the floor fine. Mm -hmm. But like good luck going up from there because your back's so out of position, you're never going to lock out anything heavier than that. Yeah, they can't get their hips through and they just kind of like stop hunched over. And they're like, oh, I just lifted 600 pounds. I'm like, no, you didn't. But they'll be at 600 for six years, mm -hmm. right? And it just ends up, uh, you know, in a vicious cycle. But I, I think what I was getting at is, um, like, for me personally, if I have somebody prepping for a meet, 
I make them do back extensions. Uh, I'm, I'm so big on them for strengthening the lower back, especially banded um, back extensions. They're, they're absolutely awesome. my hands down, mm -hmm. my all-time favorite movement, and I think they're 100% essential. Uh, I call it bulletproofing. Uh, they do it two to three okay. times a week, and they're going to do it on back and leg days. I have and, them a lot in my programming. Yeah, but to me, like, that's an essential thing. Is there anything in your, you know, experience that you just find to be absolutely essential for training? I mean, those are definitely a staple for sure. Um, pull-ups, they're almost always – if I don't do pull-ups, I feel like I don't deadlift as well. It's, it just, just sounds weird to me. Do you find that the lat pull-down is an acceptable – uh, replacement for pull-ups if it's done with good form sure but if pe like if you're leaning all the way back and just pulling it to your chest that's not mimicking a pull-up um just real quick if you look into our gym we have six different ways to do pull-ups we don't have a single way to do a lat pull-down so we're on the same page as you okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm like mm, if if you can't do an assisted one, most gyms have an assisted pull-up right. machine. If you can't do that, something's wrong. Like, you you have a whole weight stack that can lift your whole body in the correct positioning. But, I mean, that's just me personally. If I, you know, if one week I can do ten pull-ups and then the following week I can only do three, like, something's off. And I notice it in my locking out of my deadlifting. Um, RDLs, I think, are a pretty big staple. I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a movement. It could be, um, you know, eating something before you, you lift or maybe not eating something before you lift or, or sleep or anything along those lines. Sleep's a huge deal. I try to get as much sleep as possible. As you already know, I yeah. have trouble sleeping, so... And that's what most of your supplements revolve around. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just because I, I have insomnia. Like, I've had my doctor tell me, you have insomnia. So I've tried to, aside from using, you know, medications, I've tried to limit my caffeine intake or the time of day. Um, drinking enough water, going to bed and not touching my phone. Trying to do all of those things on top of using... You know, the ZMA and Dream Chaser, which is, like, a really good combo for me. Um, I honestly don't eat a lot before training, if at all. And that, I don't think that's on purpose. That's more so my schedule throughout the day. So, like, I'll eat something on my way into work, but I might not lift until 2, 3 in the afternoon. I won't have anything in my system. And sometimes those are my best lifting days. Now, I'm not saying you should do that, but, like, that's what works for me. I like to tell my clients, because I've had some of them, you know, get lightheaded, feel like they're nauseous, but that's because they haven't ate at all. So I'm like, okay, eat something small one to two hours before you see me, and you should be fine. But for me, if I have, like, a coffee or an energy drink, I'm typically fine. Does, uh, does Instagram and, like, social media does it influence your I guess like desire to participate in the sport no 
So if that wasn't around, you would still be doing what you're doing? Absolutely. What about like the potential? You know, when when I was training um, serious powerlifting, um, you know, 500 pounds raw squat was like, it was kind of a big deal to hit that mm-hmm. milestone. Um, it still is. It is, but now you see, uh, you know, a ton of people like, you know, same weight class, you know, the 198, 181, 220s, just incredibly strong people. And I think it gives us access to seeing what the body can do. Yeah. Right. So sure. if I see another guy, you know, squatting 600 pounds at, at 200 body weight, I'm like, nah, I, can, I can do that. It's yeah. just going to take me some time, but I can do that. Um, does it motivate you in that sense? It does, especially when I'm seeing, you know, other women in my weight class and what they can lift. If I know them personally, I'm just like, okay, what are you doing? How, yeah. how are you doing that? What are you eating? What are you supplementing? Are you on anything? Stuff like that. I'll ask questions. I don't care. Yeah. But, yeah, I definitely think social media helps in a sense of knowing the potential that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, how it's done, that's going to be different person to person. But that's that's how I use social media. I try not to see, you know, my, my competition and get you know butthurt about discourage, it discourage yeah i see it as like okay all right that's what i have to work towards because you know that that's the name of the game it is a sport everybody wants to win and the way you win is by being the strongest person so i see it as a motivator not so much as a you know gets me in my head and gets discouraged yeah when uh when do you plan on competing again I'm actually doing the showdown meet in New York in September. It's a big meet. Yeah, I'm nervous. I am so nervous. Everybody who's anybody's going to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. I was super honored when I got the invite to it, and then I saw, you know, who I was competing against. Like, I saw the roster, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, dang, what am I going to do? Um but, you know, it, that's the whole point of, like, running a training cycle. You, you peak at the right time and things just kind of go well. I Honestly, I have no expectations. I just want to show up and do the meet and not bomb out, obviously. But That's a good plan. <laughs> um, there's, there's numbers I have in my head that I would like to hit, but I'm so early in my training cycle I'm kind of like basing it off of like my previous training cycle. Have you started what essentially you would call prep for that show or for that meet? That started this week, actually. So a lot of stuff is more focused around the big three lifts. The accessory or auxiliary work is in my weak areas in those three lifts. Okay. So that's really the only two things that have changed? Yeah. It's not so much like before I would have, you know, a, we'll, we'll take bench for example. I would bench, but I would do six or seven accessory exercises and not focus on benching. Okay. So now you're giving yourself more time for just the movement mm-hmm. and then smaller time for the accessory stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. What are you doing with, uh, as far as like diet and sleep now that you're in uh, prep mode? And 
before you answer, I always feel like the you know, assuming you're in an, uh, like a 16 week prep, I don't know how how many I weeks. I think so. I'm at 14 weeks. 14 right weeks. Now, but typically 16 to 14. Yeah. I feel like the first half of of prep is like you're actually making strength progress, and then the second half you're actually just getting better at lift execution. Yeah. I would agree with that. So this is like an, it's an important phase for you. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing with your diet and your sleep? So sleep's been that's gonna that's probably gonna change with work starting. Um, fingers crossed, work goes back to normal. But I'm gonna be so busy at work because I'm gonna be jumping between three different clubs. Right. But luckily, once things open, the hours changed so i will be home at a reasonable time so hopefully my sleep doesn't take a hit um the dieting portion so before i remember telling you i was doing keto or similar to keto very low carb high fats that really worked for me i mean right now i'm only i want to say maybe five to eight off of my weight class okay Give or take, and granted, that's from not really tracking or anything like that, but, you know, I have to dial in my nutrition that way I don't have, like, I don't want to do a water cut if I don't have to do a water cut. Right. Granted, it's easy to do if I'm just doing water and not having to Especially five pounds. Five pounds is easy. Right. Like, that'll happen overnight. Exactly. But if I can walk into weigh-ins at my weight drinking a Gatorade and a bottle of water I would prefer to do that um but before when I was doing minimal carbs higher fats higher protein I was sitting like right around at my weight class and that was at the time I had two meets lined up but then you know quarantine happened so they all got pushed back and that that just really worked for me I like higher fatty foods more than anything and I feel more energy out of them and I feel fuller longer so that's that's pretty much why that worked for me and hey whatever works for you you continue to do so that's kind of what I was doing and that's probably what I'll get back into I mean as of the past few weeks I've kind of just been eating whatever I want you and everybody else yeah quarantine so I'm not exactly I don't know if I'm ready to do that, but it's not like I was starving myself or taking away from what I would have wanted anyway. It's not going to be a huge change. I think your your activity level will go up, and I think you'll lose five pounds just from that. Yeah. Right from from yeah, training and being on your feet time. and yeah. you know additional steps and going club to club, less being at home. I think yeah. you know naturally just with me, uh, anytime I have increased movement, my weight just you know drops right off. Yeah. For sure. I could definitely see that happening. All right. So uh, do you talk goal numbers for the meet? I mean. Or do you try not to get in your head about it? I try not to get in my head. I mean, it's still a goal no matter when I say it or when I hit it. I'd like to bench 300. I've done that with a slingshot with ease. Granted, slingshot adds like 40, 50 pounds. Give or take. Yeah, it depends on the person, yeah. Um, so I know what it feels like in my hands. Um, deadlift, I don't exactly have a number I want to hit because 500 moved so easy. I, I probably had 200, 200, 20 pounds, 30 pounds in me then at that meet. Yeah. So if 
my prep and peaking goes as it should, I mean 500 plus, 525 seems like a good number. I mean 25 pounds, you hold 25 pounds in your hand, you're like, oh, that's not much. But when you're adding that to 500, it's like, okay, wait. But do I think I have it in me? Yes. Um, squat, that's been my most problematic lift. Problematic in the, I mean, I don't think many people are going to say a 500-pound squat for a female is a problematic lift. I haven't even hit 500 yet, but that's my goal. Okay. Um, what did you hit, 490? I hit 485. Okay. But, and that moved really well. I tried... I want to say I went for like 465 or something, and then I just wasn't coming out of the hole in position, and I started my chest started falling, and then that kind of strained my lower back. So got bulletproof. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the first initial injury, and now that's like no matter how much I try to put it out of my head, it's still there. Like you got hurt doing this lift. So. Um, yeah, I mean, five. I, I guess it's more so my total. Like I'd like to hit. What is that? Thirteen, hundred. That'd be cool. Cool. And when's the meet? July? Or I'm sorry, September. The end of September. I want to say it's the twenty something. I should know this, but I don't. Cool. All right, guys, if you want to see Kelly squat 500, bench in the 300s, and uh, deadlift well into the 500s, uh, follow her on Instagram. What's your handle? M-S-Z-K-E-L-L-I. Yeah, follow her on Instagram. Uh, she's a really good follower. She has some incredible lifts. You'll scroll through and see that four or five for 10. Uh, obviously, she's a coalition athlete, uh, so give her some support, and her meet is in September.